we're going transatlantic on Down the Divisions tonight. For the past two years, Jim Chapman has been assistant coach for the University of Kentucky's women's team. But before that, he had a long and distinguished career in Scotland's lower leagues. After turning out for Albion Rovers and Dumbarton, his playing career was cut short by a cruciate injury at the age of just 25. But seeing a patient with no legs fall out of the hospital bed next to him helped put things in perspective and ensured nothing was going to take away his love for the game. Since then, he's thrown himself into coaching and coach education. After turning Clamonic ladies into an all-conquering side, he lifted Albion Rovers, then led Dumbarton to a title while leading the club through the tragic death of their captain. At Annan, he oversaw their biggest ever win and Rangers' biggest ever loss and knocked Hamilton out of the Scottish Cup. We'll hear all about that, as well as his love for chocolate, life living and working in the States, and more as we go down the divisions. Thanks for joining us for another 60 minutes or so looking at the lower leagues. Uh, Paul, we're, we're actually on International Week this week, aren't we? And uh, this show will be going out just before Scotland face Israel. Do you... Do you kind of like these international weeks? Oh, I love the international weeks. I've been uh, partial to go on the odd Scotland trip. I've actually been partial to go on the odd trip with Wales as well and England. So uh, I have to have, no, I do like international weeks, but uh, I suppose we've had 22 weeks of about international breaks. It's the yeah. time we get back playing football ourselves. And how about tonight? Quite excited about going uh, going global. Can't believe we're in America. Can't believe it. Brilliant. It'd be good to catch up with Jim. Well, we'll come to Jim in a minute. Wherever you are in the world, we want to hear your thoughts and comments too. You can email us at downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. My name's Chris Jane and I'm the Cohen and Rangers manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Former Annan and Dumbarton boss Jim Chapman is our guest this week, all the way from Lexington in Kentucky. Jim, thanks for joining us. Yeah, hi. thanks for having us, guys. Good to see you all again. Catch up. Is that an American accent, Paul? Is it, I, I, I thought I detected some... some, some... I, thought, I thought it was Australian. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll chat some more in a moment, but before we do, we've got the Down the Divisions decider. It's still two each, and you're the man with the clues tonight, Paul. Yep, so this week's clue seems that we're in America tonight. It's going to be the Super Bowl was played between Cincinnati Bengals and San Francisco 49ers. Oh, Jim's, Jim's bound to get it then. I mean, I mean, Jim's the American expert. 49ers won in 2016. Don't know if there was any offside goals or anything like that, but uh, second clue, you'll get this. This is the one that's going to give it away for you this week, Gareth, because I know you're a big Nables fan. Kylie and Jason reached number one with especially for you. Arsenal won the league title. And the full members cup, then known as the Simod Cup, was played at Wembley between Nottingham Forest and Everton. Forest won in 4-3, three minutes from the end. Over to you, Chappie. I think you should have Don't all dive in at once. no one Paul there when he said the score in American football 2016 I thought that might be a wee clue there you know but uh, no I'm thinking to myself it's got to be late 70s 
Arsenal was 70, 79. Oh, Arsenal won the day. Really? Really, Charlie? <laughs> Kylie and Jason? <laughs> Strip all the other questions back. Kylie and, Kylie and Jason? Really? Especially for you. <laughs> Bounce of the dog. <laughs> Did you never go out and play football, Paul? You know, when we were growing Aye, up. but we watched Nables first. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Um, all right. So you, Arsenal won the titles later as well, I suppose. So. Well, they also won it in the seventies, well, Charlie. So if you want to think with that. Seventy-one was the last time as well, wasn't it? So right. maybe. All right, let's go. Eighty-four. Eighty-four. Gareth. I'm gonna go. Ninety-one. Ninety-one. Let me just write this down. It was neighbours on at that time. <laughs> <laughs> neighbours is still on. It's on Channel Five now, Charlie. Oh, I don't see the telly here, Paul. Uh, you'll get out there. You'll be busy. <laughs> right, we'll come back to that at the end of the show. I'm Adam Hopes, co-manager of Drumchapel United, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Ex-Annan and Dumbarton boss Jim Chapman is with us this week. Uh, as I said at the start there, Chappie, you're in, in Kentucky, in, in Lexington, actually, at the minute. Um, I guess over here... Football fans will remember you managing, you know, Annan and, and Clyde most recently. How, how did you come about, you know, going out to the States? I think, you know, that when, when the way back, it takes me back about a friend of mine, Ian Carey, um, worked with it Command at Ladies. When you worked with the SFA, you knew you weren't allowed to work in a professional game. So I ended up going into the women's game and it was great because it helped me develop as a coach. So we were working away there, um, Big Ian came to help us there and we, we got a lot of success and then just laterally there he, he gave us a call and we kept in touch. He's done great for himself, he's come over here in America, was it, to, um, to, I think it was 2011 or something, he came over here and then all of a sudden he's got he's landed himself the head coach job at Kentucky and it, he got the three reign to um, you know, change his staff, change everything about it and he gave us a call and it was probably a a good time for me, Gareth, because I was feeling a bit down and low. Obviously, the last job at Clyde didn't work out the way it was, and you were starting to just look at yourself and have a good reflection. So it was good to get away. Um, and this job came up, and I said, it's, it's a fantastic opportunity to come and try something different and maybe learn again. And, and I think that's the, the best two years, probably, of just reflecting everything I've done. Reinvent yourself in that over here as well, which has been great. So grateful to Big Ian for the opportunity. As I said, we're out here in my... Our lifestyle's great. It's it's not as pre- I'm not to say it's pressure because pressure is, is comes over everything. But we're a lot more relaxed and enjoying just coaching in that again rather than all everything else that goes with the jobs I was in. So really enjoying ourselves. Life's great, and uh, so, you know, I don't know where it's going to take us or what's going to happen. Um, so we'll just need to see how it all pans out. But great opportunity. I was I was fortunate to come out and see you almost a year ago and. And able to see the facilities and and the access, you know, the the what what you've got in front of you, the cha- even changing rooms, the rehab centres, all these kind of things. Just for people for people who haven't seen it or don't know about it, how how much uh, how much does that benefit you as a coach? How much does it how much does it remove certain obstacles that you had to perhaps fight against? when you were managing down the divisions over here? I think you say the resources, and I know it's well documented sometimes, but you definitely want for nothing. You know, the facilities are second to none, top class. Even even just the, the women's soccer team, we have our own designated strength and conditioning coach, dietitian, 
um, even all the sports science, even down to the medical care and attention you've got. Is the, they've just got everything covered. Facilities are first class, uh, one for nothing regarding equipment. Everything's all there for you. Um, and it is, but it makes you realise the importance of what you had back home. And I know growing up, even the grassroots football, we come through the juniors and all that as well back home where, you know, the, the kit man was guarding a bib, never mind anything else. You know, you can't even get bibs and stuff. So you always chase things back home. Whereas here, things are there for you. So you have really no excuses. And you just, the good thing about it is you can focus on what your job is. And it's just to go in the park and coach and develop and share your experiences. Whereas back home, you know, you're you're fighting for everything. You're looking for the, the equipment, you know, and everything's all passed down. And it's certainly something that we, we can learn from back home. But you make good, but it's not an excuse because these are the resources that we have and you make good use of the resources. And yeah, I might be spoiled here, but I never take nothing for granted because I knew the importance of this is what we've got, this is what we can afford. And every club I've been at, they've always tried to make things available to you as best they can. So, you know, you're, you're quite... You get embarrassed of with the luxury you have here, um, but it certainly does make your job easier. That's for sure. I remember Jim uh, speaking to you, and you—I think you were at Annan at the time—and you were saying to me, you know, you were driving from Paisley down, and you were making up pasta and soup and all that kind of stuff for the to look after the players after training. I know you've got everything where you are, but do you miss the Scottish game? Well, listen. Well, I'm, I'm steeped in, in Scottish football. People who know me and just know I'm a football daft, as you know, and I've been I'm a proud product of the SFA coach education system. That's the first thing because I wouldn't be what I am without a lot of people helping in me. And that came from even growing up as a kid. You know, people you looked to looked after you, and, and you get to it's about valuing what people do and the contributions they make. So whatever it took, you know, we did that. And even down at Annan, there was a woman, Karen Robertson, went out our way to do everything. Henry, the chairman down there, whatever we needed, they would do. And if supposing it was themselves having to do it or try and source it somewhere else, they, they just made everything happen. And that's what I love about the Scottish people in the Scottish game. Regardless of what it takes, there will always be somebody there that will go beyond to help you out. So as much as you might not have it in the financial terms for all these luxuries, but sometimes you can't put a price on people's commitment and dedication to the sport. And you'll see that in the junior game or even the, the lower level games. There's a lot of good voluntary people uh, involved in the Scottish game. So, yeah, you miss it. You miss the game. You miss the reality sometimes, I, I call it here, because you only play for three months of the year. You know, that, that's the, the toughest thing. You maybe train for three months, then you get breaks, then you maybe play a season for three months. Whereas, you know, back home, it's, it's almost 24-7, you know, all year round. Um, so I do miss that day-to-day involvement and long-time involvement, long-term involvement. But... At the same time, you know, there's some real good people out here and it's just it's just about adapting to what you've got. Gareth's obviously touched on he'd come out. You obviously never invited me, Chappie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> it just comes up, you know. <laughs> but obviously, again, touching on, touch on Anna and the facilities and stuff like that. For the people who don't know, and we, we've obviously spoken, Gareth's been and told me about it, like what kind of crowds are you getting out there for, like the, the women's game at? college university level again it depends sometimes on who you play you know there is some rivalries and stuff like that you know but a lot of the, the, the players parents will come in for the weekend you know you might have a game on a thursday and a sunday such as the the shortness of the season so there might be families will be in for a weekend and stuff so you could easily go 500 to about 12 uh 1200 you know so it can go up and 
the capacity of the stadium is probably about 4,000 and stuff. So I've never seen that full with uh, the women's game. The men had a lot of success as well in their championship um, two seasons ago and the crowds were great because you get all the college students and all the f- classmates and all that will come out and support. So again, with the weather being good, it can be anything, Paul, you know, but at the same time, you know, even when we go away, I think we're down at, I think you came down to Tennessee, was a, the game Gareth was out and down to Tennessee and there was a good crowd there and, you know, that I think it's just what these crowd are coming to support. And a lot of it is family related, a classroom, you know, because a lot of the girls, they come from all over America and even Europe, the States, they all come in to play in the college. So it's, just, it's not like a, there is a fan base. They sell season tickets and all that. So it's just like real for them. So there is a, a good hardcore of season tickets as well being sold. So, but again, you know, anything from 500 to 1200 each game, you know, it depends who you're playing. And the American football and the American sports, I take it, at the universities, that's just absolutely phenomenal. Totally different level. Crazy. They have something here in Kentucky called the Big Blue Madness. And I went to... They have that in call as well. <laughs> <laughs> or every Saturday, the governor. I hope they have every Saturday. It is, it's Big Blue Madness. And we went to... And we came over here, it was one of the first times I went to it, and it was just to introduce the basketball team. And there's about 25,000 people. I don't think you, you got into the, the Rupp Arena, was getting redone, Gareth, I think we were over, is that right? The basketball stadium. Yeah, we, we went to the arena, but we couldn't get in, could we? Yeah, it was getting all refurbished and stuff. So there were about 25,000 people just to get introduced to the basketball team for that year. Absolutely phenomenal. And they, and they are really, really fanatic. Kentucky basketball is one of the... The, the top-rated programs here in America, and it's 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 fabulous to see the American football went to the stadium, seventy odd thousand stadium, and it's almost capacity every game they've got, and that's where obviously the big American sports, you know, they follow that soccer still a, a certain some soccer. I hate even saying soccer; it's football still to me. But he's changed, isn't he? He has, oh, yeah. He has changed. American it. accent. He's got American it. accent. It is, it's just that you know where the priorities lie. And Kentucky's basketball and the football, American football, will always get fan base. It's just incredible. As it says, you kind of get tickets for loving their money to go to these games, you know. Um, slowly but surely feeding into the, the other sports and that as well. So, But it's it's certainly on a, on a game day, American football, it's just chaotic, absolute chaotic at times, you know. You've obviously had experience managing in the women's game, you know, prior to going out to America, which we'll we'll come on to in a second. But you mentioned earlier about adapting. Um, is there have you had to adapt for? I was going to say mentalities or the approach to the game or the style of the game, um, and and maybe have you reacted to a certain situation when you first went out there, and then realised that is the right reaction back in Scotland, but. It's not the right reaction for the style of play or, or what we're doing here. I think you know I was I was fortunate to work with a, a, I call him my mentor, Wally McLean. Wally and he says, Jamie says the secret to any good coach is the ability to adapt. Whether you're working with first team professional players, whether you're taking some younger kids, whether it's male, females, your ability to adapt as a coach, and it's something I've always tried to to learn and just about myself about that regardless who you're working with and the levels. Just try and remember exactly who you're working with in the levels. That was always a key piece of information. So having worked with the women's game back home, um, the physical differences, Gareth, you know, that is obviously, that's an obvious one, a given one, the, the physical difference between male and female. But I think the biggest one is the emotional side, you know, where girls, they're like sponges. 
you know, in the guys' game, the men's game, and with all due respect to the guys, is it think they know more than they probably do, you know, and um, and there's also that ego driven that they're always frightened to maybe ask questions or say, you know, that you all favourite, do you understand what I'm asking you to do? And they'll tell you yes, whether they, they do or don't. Whereas girls are different, they're like sponges, they, they want to ask questions, or they'll challenge you and, and you've got to keep repeating and repeating to them. So it's like, especially, as you say with my accent, especially when I'm talking to them, they're like, they think I'm karaoke and singing rather than trying to coach them, you know, so... That's why I had to adjust and adapt my voice and how I speak sometimes, Gareth. So it's not that, you know me, chappy will never change. Um, but I've got to adapt that side of things. But it is, it, it, you do, and, and again, you're getting different cultures. You know, kids are coming from different backgrounds, even different parts of America they come in from, you know, and, and then the Europeans trying to build all that culture for them all. So it's great because they're all different. I think that's the key thing. But at the same time, I'm a great believer. Once the ball starts, there's a common language in football. And we just keep understanding that why we love this game. Putting it over, as I said, is is always the challenge. But when you get everybody buying into the same thing, then it does become easy. But the secret to adapt is crucial. We've spoke, you know, endlessly about tactics and stuff over the years, and I've obviously come to you for for advice myself. But see. We know, we know when the, the team goes on the park and stuff, uh, f- football is the same game, but do you, and you've talked about adapting, but technically and it must be different in the women's game and you would have had to adapt for that, surely? Uh, well, again, you know, even going back from my time in Scotland, I found that technically some of the girls are, they're as good as some of the guys, but just because the physical challenge and the speed of everything, it, you know, Disney goes notice. But when things slow down and you expect them to be that wee bit slower, some some girls will get some good technical ability. The biggest difference is the tactical awareness. Um, you know, is that they don't they don't execute things quick enough, as you can see, if you're inexperienced. And that's where a big challenge comes in, because sometimes that leads to a wee bit of frustration. Um, the the tactical side in America, they say that the physical um, they're quite athletic over here. They're very, very athletic, you know, and there's no reason not to be with all the programs that get put in place for them. So uh, they're very, very athletic, but still maybe, and again, I'm, I don't want to be disrespectful to the game, but maybe tactically naive. So you're doing a lot of tactical coaching rather than anything else. And again, you see, you talk about formations, you know, that everybody's the modern day game of the tick-a-tack and the four-three-three, and and I'm and I find it. I find that a big challenge, Paul, because I've never, ever once been thought about. It's not about formations or what you play. It's about players' willingness and understanding to move five yards or change formations. So when we're putting that over to them and getting them to understand that, that's been a, a big challenge. But as I said, they've been very receptive to it and we're starting to see good benefits of it as well. And, and how have you adapted to life over there? More importantly... How does the chocolate compare? Is it up to standard? You know, and it's oh, horrible, Gareth. Horrible. It's not as good as Cadbury's back home. I'm sorry, I'm putting a plug in, but I, I miss my dairy milk. I miss my twirls. Um, but so what, what's the what's the chocolate that's keeping you going over there? Then, if it's not Cadbury's, uh, it's a box that gets sent over with the way the boys. The boys keep sending stuff over. I mean, some friends are very kind, keep sending stuff over, but. No, and, it, and probably it's, it's to my, my benefit and my health and all that, as you say, they're shedding a couple of pounds because I've, I've cut back in the chocolate. So, no, it's, it's not as nice over here, which is good, but I still think <laughs> one or two decent bars that I can enjoy just to keep that craving in mind uh, at bay, you know. And I think, I think for the listeners, you better explain, we just started talking about chocolate, that Chappie does have a, 
particular addiction to chocolate. <laughs> I think a lot of people who does know that. Yeah. I did chocolate, you know, and I've always been there. That's my, my turn to. But it was funny that even when you went into the management side, I think people, I turned to, it's a comfort, you know, it's people talk about stress relief and all that. So you do get, and you do, there's, there's no doubt, but regardless of the level you work at, you always have stress you know there's expectations and all the pressures and results and everything that goes with it. And, and I always knew that I could always find my comfort with a, a good couple of bars of chocolate and iced coffee and I turned to that and some you know some guys or maybe cigarettes some guys might turn to some alcohol whatever it's going to be you know and we all have our addictions but mine's just chocolate and uh, it, it certainly helps me calm down sometimes and, and I become a wee bit grumpy and tired uh, when I don't have it so um, along me, I need to try and find something over here. That's for sure. But life, life is good though. You've you've settled into Lexington. You you like the area. The, the, I mean, the weather's good. The climate's good. It's incredible, Gareth. You know, and, and the good thing is, I see, and, and the wife coming over, and we're just enjoying enjoying our life. We spend more time. I think the key thing we've had is we've had more time together now as well. Because as I said earlier, there when you're back home, you're you're on it from morning, noon, and night. Even at part, there's no such thing as part-time management. I don't care what anyone says. You've got to be on the, the ball all the time. Um, but over here, we've had a bit of time, which is good. And there's certain times of the year as well that we're getting to enjoy. Um, just going visiting other places, recognising other places, you know. And and I think, unfortunately, the last five, six months of the world with COVID and all that's restricted any opportunities at the moment. But we're, I say we're in good health, we're well looked after over here and we've got some excellent places that we can go and visit. So it's good. Yeah, it's, it is a bit different. Um, but I, I must admit, my friends back home, our family back home, we do miss everybody. We can't keep ourselves on, it's tough. But the Zoom calls, I think, you know, we, we tend to keep in touch with people people more often than we did when we were back home because of this situation as well. So that's something I think we, we need to keep up. Everybody probably everybody needs to keep up keeping in touch with each other, you know. So we miss miss a lot back home, but we're enjoying what we've got now. Obviously you talk about the lifestyle, is it something that you would look to in the future returning back to football in Scotland? Or are you really when you see the kind of life and and the, the things that the university can give you, is that something that you think to yourself, well, managing at this level's actually above not above in terms of you're looking down it, but the the resources you've got to hand are, are much better than uh, than what you'd have back home. Well, I think you know the first thing is it's the opportunity. I'm out here because I was offered an opportunity, Paul. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. I still get this. I'm out here. I'm working. You know, as mm-hmm. I just say, it's a work. It's a part of a new new journey in my career. You know, I'm just like, trying to learn as much as I can here. So I still get this. I'm here to work. This is no my this is no my life. I'm Scottish. You know, I'll mm-hmm. return home at some stage, but mm-hmm. on the work front, you know, it's a, if if an opportunity arises, which I think is good for me and my next step, and people think I'm good for the job, then you, you consider that. And I think it's just something that you've always because of the industry we work in. You know, yourself, it's it could be short term. You know, results driven. The only thing here about the college is it seems a wee bit more secure. You know, where as much as the results are important, but they're not definitely not the be on end all because you're, it's part of a bigger education process of developing young people for their life, not just in sport. You know, so and that's the way the college is. You still want to do a good job, you know, and that's the pressure cylinder. But back home, you know, if an opportunity arose there, what I think is good um, for me to keep continue my development, then you do consider it. 
do it, would you have the same resources as back home and opportunity financially the game as well? It's 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 no great no great opportunities and and I think you know with the way the game's going back home, there's a lot of we've seen that that younger coaches, younger managers come into the game a wee bit earlier as well. So I think I'm in that sort of middle bracket. With you're not like top name, top profile, then it's tough to get a job. And then you've got the young coaches who are doing really, really well. When you're stuck in the middle, there's a lot of good coaches and managers I've noticed out the game in Scotland who could certainly do a good job. So there'd be absolutely no right or given right for me to get a job there. But if an opportunity arose, which was good, then of course I would certainly, certainly consider it and be happy to come home. Just before we uh, we kind of start looking back over your managerial career, what, what what's it been like out there? You mentioned COVID and, and how that's affected the world, but where, where are you right now? How has it impacted on what you've been doing? When are you starting back up again? Again, Gareth, it's, here it's just like state by state. You know, we were in Kentucky. The governor here decided this is what was going to happen. Trying to obviously speaking back with the family and that back home where it's complete lockdown. We've never ever faced that here. You know, you've never been in a complete lockdown here in the state of Kentucky, but there was certain restrictions, but nothing really condensing you to say that you must stay in or you can't do anything. You know, so it's been a slow build up. Um, where we are at the moment is it's starting to look a bit more normal. Um, the te- If we just look at where the jobs now, we're back in the office, we're back training, we're getting tested regularly every week. Um, and, and it's now looking that it's now starting to lead us towards uh, I playing a season, you know that was a key thing now as well. We're going to get a season now as well. So, but the state of Kentucky has been quite good. I think the, the governor here, as they call it, he's just been making sure everybody does the right things. The bars, the restaurants, the shops have kept open as best they can. The social distance and all the good practices. But I think that's you know it's like everywhere else. People adhere to the rules, makes things a wee bit easier. Um, but it's when people start to just you know disobey or just disrespect the rules and do their own thing, then it leads to problems for everybody else. But touch wood, so far, so good. We've been healthy, and that's the key priority for us. We're healthy. We're getting on with our lives as best we can and slowly but surely starting to get back to some sort of normality. But again, with the schools all coming back, the college students all coming in, they're expecting spikes to, you know, more testing, more results, more negative results. You know, all come through. So I think it's just taking care of yourself, being respectful of all the rules and just, you know, I think if it's a small price to pay wearing a mask and keeping social distancing, if if that helps us get back to some sort of normality, I think it's a small price to pay. So, We'll, uh, we'll come to your playing days later in the show, but if we, if we take you back to, you know, the beginning of your managerial career, if you like, and I mentioned the Kilmarnock ladies team, how, how, how much did, how much did that, prepare you for going into the men's team as a manager tactically experience wise again and I've said this openly and I'm not frightened to say this that my own personal development my tactical awareness of the game increased so much just working the women's game and it was because maybe the, the, the speed of player the tempo the physicality of the game is a lot slower that you actually identified things a lot quicker um, and and that was great for a tactic development. So it prepares you for that, knowing that you're the change, you're you're waiting on changes now. You can sense things starting to happen the way the games are going. So I definitely improved uh, my tactical awareness uh, working in the women's game. Also led to frustrations because you could see it quicker in the direction. 
and that was a kind of frustration thing that probably followed me into the men's game where, well, again, all due respect to the levels you're working with, you're coaching and maybe the guys are not executing what you're seeing quicker and maybe cause a problem. And from the sidelines, you know, I, I don't even recognise myself sometimes or said before that you just get so frustrated with some actions that are carried out or whatever it's going to be. So, it, yeah, I think the women's game certainly has improved so much as well. There's better standard of players again, you know, they're, they're more even tactically aware, they're, they're physically better prepared and the, and the speed of play and all that, the games uh, is a lot quicker now. So, and now even, even the development of female coaches coming up into the men, level of the men's now. So, yeah, it's it's the game we all love, whether you're male or female. And I think there's, I'm not saying it's equal level playing fields. I'm sure if a man's team's playing against a female's team, we know the outcome, mainly physically, but certainly technically and tactically, I think, you know, there's not much of a difference between the teams now. After after three years, three su- successful years at Kilmarnock, uh, ladies, Albion Rovers came calling. Was it a fairly straightforward decision to go there? And how do you look back on your time at Clifton Hill? I think when the opportunity arose again, I'm still, it was through a sort of, I'm still working with the SFA. So it was still, you weren't really permitted to work at clubs. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking, well, how am I going to progress and develop as a coach? And, you know, being a, a senior officer with the SFA, and I think I'd like a chance, um, an opportunity. There was one or two development opportunities to progress within the SFA and when that didn't materialise for me I thought well maybe I, I want to maybe go and try and into the club game how'd I get in and, and Robert Watt um, that Albion Rovers went through a massive transition period at that time uh, I think it was well documented financially as well they were they were actually like full time you know they had a lot of like the, the YTS programmes and they had a lot of full time players and financially but like everywhere else that that's very it's not sustainable uh, at that kind of level so they sort of just bottomed right out and all of a sudden there was next to nothing at Albion Rovers they'd scrapped the whole youth system and absolutely no money uh, and I think that's where my, my own sort of development background hopefully helped you know you to go in there and, and sort of try and put a structure in and maybe you know some people look at you know I remember being said you know that to try and get things going let's put the foundations in it'll be three five years before we start to turn it around financially um, and when Robert came in and we put the plan in place, everything was great, you know, and we had to go and, again, the West of Scotland Under-21 League, there was a lot of good, we hidden gems there that I think, you know, with a bit of guidance and a bit of structure behind them, we could maybe compete at the level we were going to operate at, and you never had the finances to pay anybody, you know, and I, I, won't, I won't go into any detail about wages and stuff like that, but the guys who came to play, it wasn't about earning money. And you couldn't be at that time. It was impossible um, to, to think about you're going to try and earn decent money playing it part-time. So we built a good squad. Um, we brought one or two players that we knew from the development programmes, young kids who were, were just desperate to, for an opportunity. Uh, and I said a bit of guidance, a bit of structure. And some actually progressed and done quite well for us. But it's like everything else, you know. Sometimes that uh, they want change at the top level and was a surprise that it came to an end as quick as it did. Yeah, probably because we were starting to make progress, but that decision's out with your hands. You know, that was, that was down to a board thing. And the way it ended wasn't great, but I'm grateful to be Robert, you know, because Robert and Frank Mead's an absolute gentleman, you know, as well. So sometimes when you, it breaks down, you, you tend to get a wee bit of hurt, you know, but I think, you know, we've, we've certainly caught up with each other. And as I said, I had nothing but respect for, for both Frank and Robert. 
and again, because Robert was very instrumental in taking me for the junior game into the senior game as a player as well. So, you know, as, as much as we had a disagreement at that time, then I think, you know, we're, we're very respectful of each other and what we've done for each other as well. Your next move also then comes to Dumbarton. I mean, it must have been night and day going in there with the kind of new ground and things like that. It must have been uh, just a, a different level again, albeit you were still in the third division at the time. Again, you know, the the opportunities arise because somebody else's misfortune, you know, and they know the industry we're in. And um, it was actually a strange time because just after obviously I've been over, I was still working with the SFA at the local authority and I was doing my pro licence at the time. And the the opportunity came up, but I was, Craig Brewster was at Inverness, as the manager at Inverness, and Craig had, was fantastic with me. We, we shared a lot of great experience in the pro licence. He'd actually offered me the job to go up to Inverness with him um, to work full time. And I thought, well, this is, is great because also just being in part time, you would, you would love the opportunity to work full time. And I thought, well, that's fantastic. But again, out of the blue, you know, that you got a call to maybe speak about the Dumbarton job. But I think the Dumbarton job had gone, I believe. I think it was John Brown was offered the job and then turned it down quickly. And then because you played there and you knew a couple of people there, I called and said, would you speak about the job? And I said, absolutely. And then the interview came, things went quite well, and they offered me the job. But I then I had to go back to Big Craig and say, look, how do you feel about this? Because I'm quite a loyal person. And he organised everything contractually, taking care of me, full, everything was well sorted out. And then he said, what do you want? You know, and I said, I think it'd be still good to see if I can build on what I learned at Albion Rovers as myself. And he was, he's full back and, and you know, and, and you're grateful to him for that. And then the opportunity came to Dumbarton. They presented their budgets and their resources. And I sort of had a chuckle at myself and the chairman told me how much was still left to spend. And I thought, well, that, that sounds well. Because it was middle of the season. It was January again, you know, and, and you go in there and you say, well, you've still got that amount to spend. And I thought, well, I can maybe make one or two of that. But when he told me the total was for each week, you know, I'm thinking, really? What is the budget? You know, and, and that you're right, it's different levels, different clubs, you know, where they were. But they were still in a very, very low spot for, dare I say, a club at, like Dumbarton should be. And uh, we put the plan in place. And, and my, I remember saying um, to Gilbert Laurie, who was there, the chief mm-hmm. of God, now Gilbert's passed, but... I said to Gilbert, you know, with the resources you have, I says, this plan will make Dumbarton the best part-time club in Scotland. And that was our aim. You know, and it was, was it ambitious? Yeah, but that was our aim to turn the club right around. Um, and when we were there three, four or five years later, then I think it was great. Obviously, changing management, maybe that's what got them to where they were. <laughs> oh, it, was, it, was, it was fine there, but playing, a, I think, a, an instrumental part in building the whole foundations for that club to kick forward. I was quite proud of my time there. And then you've seen coaches come in, even like Jack Ross come in to help and take the club a step forward. Stephen Aitken done a fabulous job after that. Ian Murray was in. It's a great club. Dumbarton's a great club and there's been also a lot of great players and through the, the decades it's progressed and some coaches and managers have done exactly the same. So, um, And hopefully you know they'll, they'll get back to where they should be because they're certainly a fantastic. And again, at the right level, they're a decent part-time club. And what was your plan in there, Jim? Was it just a case of Go and get guys that's been over the course, or was it bringing young boys, or was it just getting a, a, a mixture of both? Yeah, the resources to maybe get a mixture, I think that was a key thing. But I've always said that any time at a club, I, I would never be like at the playground for pocket money players. 
you know, you, you know, that's so guys who just want to come in there and pick up some money and say to you, that's not a type of player I help take a club forward. So we had to try and get that mixture. We looked at there was no real, there was a youth system there, but again, it it was that. Again, I don't want to go down the, the way academies were run. You know, it was maybe people with the perception was like, I hope I'm not being disrespectful, but glorified boys clubs at the time. You know, it was just some people coming in. They were just trying to take it the next level if they could, but without any real thought or planning behind it. Even the coach education was miles away. So we put that structure in place and got into a part-time club at Dumbarton. I was actually getting in as full-time because I, what was Inverness job was full-time. So I was going in as part uh, in as a full-time manager, and part of that was to be like the sort of director of youth and set up all the community engagement and stuff like that as well, which is quite a unique position because it was it was different at the time for the manager being at the top, you know, the manager of the first team, but my old coaching philosophy and structure was running right down through the club. So it was it was a bit of a, a, not say a gamble, but I thought it was a great way for clubs to operate at that level. And so as much as you're working at developing the first team, you're putting the foundations in to grow and develop your own. And, and I think we put, I think it was about 13 players come through our youth academy in my time at Dunbarn that made their first team debut at times. So that, that shows you it does work. But again, you go back there, there were some players getting released from good clubs. And you, I know one of the questions, one of your, your favourite players, you know, you played, we enjoyed working with you. Stevie Murray, you know, Stevie, a fantastic winger, crowd entertainer. You know, he, he was a great talent to go and work with. And he was on... I'm not being this as well, but maybe on the downway from Kilmarnock, you know, down into Partick Thistle and stuff, and maybe starting to say, well, where am I going to go? And I felt, you know, what a, dis- a contribution you can make to where we are. A um, couple of younger players coming up, young Derek Carkery, who'd been at Rangers Academy, Queen's Park, and again, just maybe lost their way a wee bit. And there were still some good players there as well. I think Jerry McCabe was there, and he'd bought some good players there. It just maybe the mixture just wasn't right, and that's when the opportunity came for well, we, we changed the ring in the summer and then again we signed a wee bit more quantity than the quality. We have a view of starting to cut back in the numbers and add a bit of quality as, as you progress through the season. And, and it turned quickly for us that even in year one we end up winning the championship. So obviously everything changes, expectations change, we should want to win the next level and it just wasn't going to work that way. Plus, you know, I think it was well documented about losing not just a, a captain and a player but a good friend as well. And that, that's a massive impact on wherever you're going to be personally. Nobody can ever doubt that. But it just shows you that, you know, it's life's fragile, football's fragile. We're in that industry, but you know you wouldn't swap it. I was going to ask you to, um, you know, elaborate on, on what it was like to to win the third division title that season and to explain just how big a part Gordon Lennon was to that. And and how big an impact it was then when he, he sadly passed away in that in that um, off road accident. Well, again, you talk about relationships, Gareth. You go back and you know players, and again, Robert Watt back at the, the West of Scotland under twenty ones. There was a couple of younger guys playing at that level. A chap, John Doyle, was at Harmony Row, and you know the Harmony Row had a, a still has a great reputation of of getting good young players coming through. Um, just maybe looking for that opportunity. So when you're going scouting and recruiting at that kind of level, you come across a lot of good players. Gordon was introduced, we brought him in, and he just seen what he had as a character, uh, Albion Rovers. And then it was it was funny though because obviously when I left, I 
over to Stoke. We actually managed to get a move to Partick Thistle. Uh, Guido went there, uh, Scott Chapman, another excellent talent uh, at the appropriate levels for us. Uh, they both went to Partick Thistle and then I lost the job at Albion Rovers. So, and it was one of the things that Dumbarton, when I knew, you know, it's, it's not nice to say it, but when the chairman was talking about potential targets that they had listed, and I, I don't know if this helped me get to secure the job at Dumbarton, but when they said there that oh, Gordon Lennon says, oh, if I'm here, Guido's here. You know, it was, and that's the kind of relationship we had and we had a real mutual respect. And when he came in and the first, I say, the last tail end of that season, the four months was just about building. We became our captain and we put everything build round about it. And then all of a sudden, it was so inspiring as well. One of the character-wise, right? Wasn't he a great trainer? He hated training. Just wanted a big side, as he said. He always said to us, you know, we got a side gaffer, you know. And he, he wasn't a training player, but you knew when he was on that pitch, he could lead and, and make a massive contribution to it. And the, everybody around about it, he was so influential to everybody and held everything together. And you were proud as, as, as punch to go and see him lift the trophy because he, he'd been with me at Albion Rovers. Obviously, he's kept in touch. He, he didn't really work out with Ian at Partick Thistle with him. So, all of a sudden, he's come back to you. It showed he put a bit of trust in me as well, which is great. And that's that magic word, trust. If you're not getting that and your teammates are each other, your staff, you know, you're burst. So when you had that trust, and for him to go and do that was great. And then you got a call on a Sunday night thinking, we're waiting to go and extend his contract. Everything was all sorted. And it was just it was so surreal. You know, and then even after how he tried to piece everything together, all the... The, the team, the, the board, everybody, the club and the fans at Dunbarn, the, the way they gathered round and galvanised everything, it was great. It did put football into perspective. And, and so it should be. You know, it's, it's, it's life's much, much more important than a game of football. Um, and the impact that that had on us, it sort of just, we lost our way a wee bit, which maybe is understandable, but at the same time, you're at the front, you've got to try and, even from a professional basis, you know, you're, you're leading the club, you're trying to take care of everything, do, try and do all the right things. If you're personal side of things, you tend to forget about that, you know, and then where did we turn to? But thankfully, your family, some good friends around about you as well. And it took it took a lot out, personally, it took a lot out of us. I can't kid myself on, but it didn't detract me from what we're trying to achieve at the club and trying to balance that, your professional life to your personal life. It's always a difficult balance. So it was a tough time, um, but I'm just, I'm really pleased and proud of the way Dumbarton have continued to recognise Gordon the way he was, he's still continually recognised as, as the person he was, I said nah, that's good it's always a, it's a nice thing you know and, and I don't think people do it, you know people, if it's much higher levels and higher profiles then people tend to do that short term, it's a small, well oh, that's a shame blah blah blah, but Gordon being at the level he's been at and still being recognised to this day is, 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 is great and it makes you feel good as well to it's somebody, although being maybe we didn't know what his potential was, where he could have went to, but he's still being well respected and recognised for the work he did at the time at Dunbarn, and that that pleases me. Because of that, or partly because of that, were you were you quite hurt at the way you exited Dunbarn? Ah, I'm quite honest speaking here, Gareth. I think how it came about. Um, being out, I call it the driving seat. You know, you, you were there at the club, you had your philosophy, your plan. We'd lost a wee bit of our way, as we said, but slowly but surely we're starting to get things back together again. And that season we managed to progress and we started the next season. In the summer, um, became a challenge. And I spoke about that word, trust. 
and without going into too much detail on it and all that, but when you don't have trust in people, then I don't think you can work with them. And when you go to your board and say that, then you're expecting to get that kind of backing. I mean, it didn't work. Then I knew that sort of writing was on the wall for me, you know, and uh, rightly or wrongly, people say, you're judging results, and, and I'll stick to that. The, we had to, you know, with a couple of good young players coming through, we spoke about the academy, how it's starting to flourish. Young Martin McNiff at the time, uh, young Nicky Devlin, they were coming through, and there was talks of these guys maybe getting opportunities to move. So you, you go there and you say that, but to, to get them this move, we need to play them. Young Alan Cook was being watched by some clubs as well. So there was a couple of kids there with the potential for the business model as well, which get them into the first team. We might sell them on and it gives more resources to help things develop. You know how it works. And to, to, to play the kids, though, you might get slapped down with one or two bad results because they're young kids. And to expect that and then how is it? Yeah, don't worry about it. And then you lose a couple of results. Then you don't need to worry about it because you're no longer going to be in charge. So that, that's the balance. That was a bit disappointing because we knew what we were trying to do and we felt we had that backing. But I say that I, I don't mind saying this. I've made it clear to close friends and stuff like that that if you don't trust the people you work with, then, you know, the, the relationship is broken. And I'm not talking about the board or the club or the players and that. I was talking about my own staff. And uh, it was disappointing what had happened with that, especially when you brought that loyalty, you stick to loyalty. But it demonstrated to me that maybe loyalty isn't as strong as you think in the game, you know. And uh, but I'm not the first, I'll not be the last. It is just one of these situations that happens. But the club kept me on, and that was a that was a a difficult time. But such was my belief in what I was trying to do at the club that I wanted to stay is try and put things in place with the, the, the development of the academy, the development of the community, uh, everything there. And we moved on for there. And probably the work that we did there went rec- it was recognised maybe by Henry down at Annan. Um, you know, and Harry Kearney, who was a fantastic bloke, met Harry a couple of times over playing against it. Um, he felt his time at Annan was up. Uh, and then we spoke about the Annan job and, and, I, and I thought this is it's another opportunity, it's another fantastic challenge and it was great to go back there and try and put your beliefs into practice now again and being recommended even by Harry, it was it was it was a nice touch as well because people knew that rightly or wrongly you do you do feel hurt in the game when you get let down or, or things weren't worked out the way it was supposed to be, either promised to you or to the face value, it was supposed to work that way. When it doesn't work that way, I don't think there's any manager who loses their job doesn't feel hurt sometimes. Obviously, going down to Annan is a place that I always love going down to. It's a kind of quirky little little place, isn't it? Must have been a completely different way of life down there to the way things are run than what I would say back up in the rat race up here. Up here being kind of the west of Scotland. I I think I think that's when when we spoke to that. And and about the job and all that, the first thing I got was just the warmth of the people, you know. And it, it's not—it's a club that's run. Um, there's no financial back, you know, massive somebody sugar daddy coming there. There's all the money throwing money at it. It was run by the community, you know, and it was guided by the community people themselves, you know. So there's a real warmth of people there, and that was the thing that really inspired me a wee bit. Is that these people care about what they're trying to achieve, and they would do anything and everything. For to, to provide me and, and my team whatever we, we, we needed at the time. And, but again, you, you know the levels. You you know you know your place in the food chain, and I think that was a key part of it. 
but the way they had turned Gallabank from the South of Scotland League, having to meet all the licensing criteria with floodlights and I think, you know, even changing the grass pitch when, when we won the league at Dumbarton, you know, we had fantastic, even that was, you know, that we were down there, we, we actually clinched the title and got the trophy down at Annan in the way the Annan, not just the, the board and the club looked after the Dumbarton, but even all the fans that were there, it was just, they were just really good people and they cared about their club, you know, and I think that's where you, you talk about the, the heartbeat of a community. Football's at such a massive place and it, to me it was very evident down there and what the club meant to the whole community down there. Going down and, and again we said, well, where do we want to go? We were, how realistic can we go? And you didn't have the budget again, you were back down the, the, the money side of things wasn't great, but we made good use of everything we had and whatever the chairman would make as much as he could. If he could make it happen, he would or he would come back and say, it's not possible just now, but let's work on it, you know, and uh, slowly but surely we moved things on and one or two good players come in and they backed me, you know, and again, you talk about some of the best players you worked with, Peter Wellerston, why was Spoonsy down? signing, aye. Why was Spoonsy down at Annan? But again, that goes back to some of the work I did away from football, you know, and, and this sort of leaders, a key fitness programme, a friend of mine, Don Middleton, they'd run and uh, she got me and Spoonsy involved in doing some leadership we introduced him to the coaching and, and I said, spoke to Spoons and I said, look, perfect for what we need, fantastic professional, great character as well, you know, and uh, we said, what you're looking for and playing any coaching. So we maybe not have been able to afford the same kind of money he was getting, but we could start to mentor him as a coach, pays coach education and Annan looked after Spoons in that way and, and that's why it ended up bringing, Peter, how did, people always ask, how did you manage to get Spoons at Annan? It's because we took care of him as a person. No, we didn't look at him just as a player. We looked at him as a person and tried to develop and, and enhance him as well, you know. And and that's why he came down there. And you know, now that's with a, a credit to Henry McClellan, the chairman of the board down there, to back you on investing in the person, not just the player, you know. And that that's sometimes that was the way Annan worked. He tried to take care of all the people as well, rather than just as players. But as I says, if they had it, you got it. And if you didn't have it, well, you had to wait until they came available to you. I'll take you back to March 2013 and a trip to, to Ibrox. You mean the 8th of March? I think it's... <laughs> the March 2013. You know what, I, I remember, and, and this this is, um, I'm maybe just going off subject here, but it's it's a wee bit that still hurts me a wee bit at the moment because you talk about trust and, and the last episode uh, and my manager at Clyde and all that, then I've no, I've no kept in touch with wee Joycey, who I love to bits, and I've, I've no... We've no spoke since I've come out here, and I, and I miss the wee guy, Joyce. And you, you talk about trust, I love him to bits. And I remember, you know, going to Ibrox, Joyce worked doing some work for the community in the Rangers, he worked in among things and all that. And going there, it was just it was great for him, you That's know. John, Joy, John Joyce, John Joyce, yeah. And and again, it hurts me a wee bit that we've, we've no kept in touch, but that's just the way sometimes life goes. But I'm sure our paths will cross again, hopefully. But on that day we were there and we we're, were just looking around us and it was great, you know, we'd been out there and think, here we go, you know, this is a fantastic opportunity for us and we really, really enjoyed it and the worry about it was, and we were training the Thursday night before at Gareth and since we went to Ann and I think we had four draws and about two defeats, we only won a game. Yeah, four, four, seven games without a win. Yeah, four, four, four draws and three defeats and stuff, you know, and 
and we started to think, oh, well, if you're ever going to break your duck, what a great place to go. And we were having a laugh about it. I said, you know what's going to happen Saturday? Low averages, we're getting our first win. You know, and, and we said to Henry, hey, listen, we're going to win it Saturday. And you know, say, Jim, you're a dreamer. Yeah, I'm a dreamer. I don't mind telling people I'm a dreamer or not. But I made a wee laugh and she's like, this, this could be it because the way we were trying to develop the squad, actually going to Rangers, Ibrox, where they'll let you play, was actually maybe suited us. You know, and, and Joyce is like, we're going to end up winning. I'm saying, well, they're either winning and causing a massive shock or we're going to get scudded six or seven or something, the way things are going. So he was the positive. I was a wee bit more cautious, you know, but we went there, we had our game plan and uh, they carried it out brilliantly. And, and, and he says to me, he says, well, that's us get our dinner ticket for the next year or two anyway. You know, we'll be able to <laughs> for a while. You know, and it, it, and it was, it was great. But you go the next week and you lose. So, but you just know that was going to happen, you know. And I remember after the game um, and speaking to the, the management team at Rangers and they said that every team that tends to do well the week before against Rangers, the next week they guarantee you got a poor result. And I was, I was sharing the, the pro licence and it was Ali and... McCoy and Ian Duran, Kenny McDowell, and were saying, let's just keep chanting. Great piece of advice, brilliant today, he says, but great piece of advice is to try and make sure they're up for the game next week. Cause they and sure enough, we went out next week and I think we lost to Clyde or something. So it just shows you. But it was as a one-off, it's great. Um, it's nice to be remembered going there. And it was a fantastic experience. But it also demonstrated what some of these players were capable of. So needless to say, when they were in the game yet week in, week out, what a massive change happened in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't just uh, obviously there was the the victory, but walking up the marble stairs, you met somebody at the top of those stairs, I think, who you knew who he was, but he maybe didn't know who you were straight away. Absolutely, Gareth. I know you were saying me there about your idols growing up as a kid. You know, maybe going into a wee area just now, but when you were growing up as a wee kid, Jimmy Johnson, Wally Henderson's the wingers. That was maybe the wee type of player you were out in the streets, uh, doing the park, kicking the ball with your mates and. I think you'll remember it, Paul. Kidding on you were this type of player, you know, and they were fantastic Scottish footballers and wingers in my time, and they were a, they were just entertainers. And obviously, you talk even locally, Billy Wilson was my Airdrie, you know, as an Airdrie boy, and I don't, I'm not embarrassed to say that. And uh, or so, you say we went up there, and he came up to me, and well, Henderson it was, you know, and he came up and he seen I had my club tie, and that was my chances. And then saw you. He says, I don't know who you are, son. He says, but your team are brilliant today. And, I, and he's shooting my hand, you know, and I says, you might not know who me, but I know who you are. I used to kid on, I was you when I was a wee boy. <laughs> you know, dribbling uh-huh. the ball in the park, you know, at Wally Henderson. I says, you're Wally Henderson. He went, and he looked at me, and I says, aye, I says, I'm really pleased to meet you. And, and he goes, oh, he says, I says, okay, I'm just Jim Chapman, I'm you're the manager, and I said, oh, brilliant. So, you know, he didn't know who he was, and nor, nor should he, but I think that's when you're immersed in football as a, a wee boy growing up, you know who your heroes were, idols were, who you idolised, who you loved watching, playing. And I was still young when he was playing, but you just knew, and maybe all black and white tellies watching these games and all that. <laughs> you, you just knew that, but, and again, that's just the way I am. I, you know, you just, I'm never frightened to be in awe of people who you thought had an influence or an impact on you, you know, and, and I was understanding that, this is great, I'm meeting somebody that I used to kid on, I was playing down the park, as you know, and and Jimmy Joe, it must have been a winger's thing, because when I first started playing as, at the school, you know, as a wee boy, I was the wee outside right, so you start to look at people who play there as wingers, and you want to try and emulate that, not that 
I was very good at it, but it was interesting. It was a great day, a great day all round. And there were other there were other big results when you were there. You knocked Hamilton out of the cup as well, didn't you? The round before it, we we had actually another great performance. We beat Livingston as well, you know, and they were doing quite well, and it was a great performance. And we when we drew Hamilton in the cup, you know, and, and again there's there's a couple of guys, uh, you know, people rightly or wrongly, but Ronnie McDonald and Les at Hamilton, the way they've they've invested their time and everything to develop that club, you know, I get utmost respect for the guys, and um, I'm always made very welcome. I'd been at Hamilton as as the SFA community coach, and then I ended up as a youth coach way back '95 '96, uh, and then even the first team coach when we managed to get promotion for. 281 and stuff like that, working with Sandy, Sandy Clark. So I've got a great affinity with Hamilton. And um, as soon as the draw came up, then I'd been at some of the reserve games, the, 20, the youth games, the 21s, because the guys were great if you're looking at players in loan. So always made welcome and watching it. So I, I went and watched them for constantly every time there was a game on, even the 21s, and I knew almost they were just doing your work. Um, and that's what I said that, you know, I almost, I'd picked. I actually guessed three teams that Hamilton would definitely play against us in the cup, such as the in-depth we went into, you know, and uh, we went there and one of the teams was absolutely bang on and uh, all of a sudden, you know, we, we played well. You can't, Hamilton, you need that. You you need your guys to perform. But you've got, Spins is leading the line. You've got a young, great talent, young Josh Todd. Matty Flynn was great, solid at the back. You think, we've got a wee chance here, you know, can Sure enough, the wee tight pitch down at Gallabank, the Astro, uh, it played to her favour, and it was great. But she says, uh, I, maybe I became a stalker at Hamilton. I think that's what was known as Hamilton. <laughs> um, but sometimes, such as your workload, you have to you know, attention to detail, try and give yourself the best chance to win. And But that's a lot of things people don't see you doing. They just might kind of see you three o'clock to quarter to five, ten to five on a Saturday, and if it doesn't go the results their way, then you're absolutely hopeless and rubbish. You know, despite the work you put in, and if it does go your way, then you're you're probably the, the best thing since sliced bread until your next result doesn't go your way, then you're rubbish again. So, <laughs> um, but that's that's football. You're right; it's a couple of good results, but you know, and it just shows you that when you you go about your business properly and do the work, then you stand a chance. And was then was the offer from Clyde at the time too good to turn down? And how do you reflect on that that period? Uh, Again, where where Anne and where we went through a, a massive change in the summer, and that again, and uh, we got off to a slow start in the season. But every year we progress the season on, we're heading towards the playoffs. But Clyde were tits, you know, they're a big club, and, and I think you know it was it was a challenge that I thought was great. But there's a potentially a big club there, um, and they they actually went down the way, and we were heading to the playoffs, um, you know, and. The people spent with Barry. It was I think we played Clyde down at Gallabank, and after the game, I think Barry then decided that that was him going to, to going to leave, and he resigned. And and then we didn't know what we were going to do with the job. The usual rumours chat start. So I was actually at the the game Clyde were playing Montrose on the Tuesday night after we played, uh, and I went because we were playing Montrose on the Saturday. So you're doing your scouting and that again, and. Uh, when people see me, I think, oh, I wonder if he's thinking about the job. Usual rubbish. And um, so we just stayed there. And then when they were talking about the job, then, again, it was a case of, well, your name's in the frame. What are you thinking? I says, well, Clyde are on there fighting relegation. 
the, the playoffs there, you know, and we are maybe heading to the playoffs up there. And and again, such was the, the relationship I had with Henry and Annan. There was no way we were going to do anything without each other's permission or anything. So we got into the playoffs and obviously some, some Henry said to me, he says, that could have been his last year. And that, that had an influence on me. You know, when you've seen that, I think you might be stepping down as a chairman. I'm thinking, well, if an opportunity arose at Clyde as it did, then maybe it's time, you know. And, and again, it was Clyde were, I don't, you know, I don't like, careful when you're speaking of that, but they, they bottomed out, you know, financially, everything. They had to completely change everything, restructure. Um, the whole squad was changed or required changing. Everything was going to change. And I thought, well, what a fantastic... I've been there before. It was just resembled the time going into Albion Rovers when you're next to nothing. Even going into Dumbarton, we're on the downward. This was a fantastic chance to go in there and build and start building because traditionally it's a great club. Um, it could be better where where they are. They should... I'm not saying you're the divine right to be anywhere in football, but there's certainly the, the sort of resources and everything that should be there to help take that club forward. But reputation means nothing, you know, and it doesn't matter who you are. You've got to look at how everything's structured and it was running. They went through a massive period of change, coming in at the right time, and I thought, what a fantastic opportunity this will be. But there was a lot of fires needed put out and trying to bring it all together. Um, the chairman had said, you know, this is where we want to go. Brilliant, very enthusiastic. And I thought, this this could really work. And slowly but surely, it was starting to work. But then a lot of changes happened. And when you don't get results then inevitably happens. And am I disappointed as to how it, it ended? Yes, but I, I don't mind saying that it was a massive weight off my shoulders the way things were going. Um, it just wasn't right. And um, But I was it was no surprise to me when they came in and Danny, who I great respect, came in, done great, got some of the players, galvanised everything again in the back and picked up and ran me. And I'm, I don't have any bitterness about me at all. Anything. I was actually... It was great to see them going because I believed that's where they could go. You know, I knew Clyde could potentially get out of Division 3 and Division 2 and start to progress towards the Championship as well. So, And that's where your decision comes. If you believe that pathway is there and opportunity is there, then that's why I went for it. If I didn't think it was going to be better than where it was, then I wouldn't have done it. So I'm pleased to see it happening, albeit I wish I was still involved and got more time to see it myself leading there. But it just shows you that Party was right to go, but the disappointing part was um, I didn't get enough time myself. Um, whether it was deserved or it wasn't deserved, that's people's opinions. You can't change that. But grateful for the opportunity, um, and I wish I had hindsight. <laughs> but it doesn't happen. But as I said earlier there, I've learned so much about myself since leaving that job in Clyde. Never mind just about the way things are, but for me as a person... What a massive change I've made to myself, reinvented myself even. And you learn more for the negative experiences. So as much as it was disappointing, it's actually been a good thing for me in my development. Hi, Stephen Aitken, East Coast Bayern Manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Previous Down the Division guest Davy Syme has committed to winning Rangers for one more season. Whiplets Victoria have signed Calum Ferguson from Air United, where he'd played since the age of 10. Thornywood have brought in Rutherglen Glen Cairn captain Josh McCory, while experienced midfielder Stephen McDevitt has joined Pollock from Darvel. McDevitt has spent the majority of his career at the top end of the amateur game, 
captaining the likes of Wellhouse and Colville Park and representing Scotland. And Peters Hill have signed former Clyde and East Stirling winger Ronan Sweeney. Well, I'm Stevie Farrell, manager from that, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Which brings us to Inside the Mind. Each week we'll put our guests on the spot to look deep into their psyche and discover some hidden stories. Right, Jim, I think you've maybe touched on a few of these already, but uh, who was your idol as a boy? Your, your family. Your, your dad was always a hero, you know, when you look up to that. And that's, that helps shape you as a person in your life and your family values and all that. But a self-confessed Airdrie fan. Um, I went here and, as I said, I spoke about Jimmy Johnson, Molly Henderson and that. But there was another winger who played at Airdrie when I first started going to the games, Billy Wilson. Um, you know, in the wee song, Billy Wilson on the wing. And, you know, you think, oh, that was great. I loved you watching that. But... And as you grew up watching here, you know that my PE teacher was Derek Whiteford, who was Airdrie's captain. So no, you're looking and good respect as your teacher, and all that, but he was also your captain at the club and that. So uh, as I said, I was at almost every Airdrie game and all that. But these are the kind of guys that you know you looked up to, and then you thought, well, it was my life ambition to play for Airdrie. You know, I was the way I wanted to be an Airdrie player. Some players dream about playing maybe Rangers, Celtic, where it was going to be. I wanted to play for Airdrie, and I've never had that. I still want to do it. Uh, unfortunately, it's not going to happen. But, um, but that, that's just the way it was. And as I said, being such close contact with guys you emulated on the pitch, you watched every like in the classroom or PE teachers. I said, even Tommy Walker was who played at Airdrie was my geography teacher. So <laughs> you know, you think that Airdrie players are round about you, but it also showed you that yeah, they're professional players, but they're also professional people. They've got a job side football, so it wasn't always the the glam and all the riches and all that. So I'll, I'll, I'll stick to that. But I think, you know, watching talented players growing up, you know, the wingers of Jimmy Johnson, Molly Henderson certainly inspired me. That's for sure. The toughest opponent you faced? Uh, there's, there's two. There's two. And, and again, both when I was playing at Albion Rovers, you know, and, and getting the opportunity to play against that. Bobby Russell um, was at Motherwell. He came away and he was a midfield and it was my job. We were in the League Cup and, and the manager, uh, he said, you know, your job, Tommy Gemmell, who he said, your job's simple. Bobby Russell doesn't play, Jim, just make sure he doesn't play. But when we get the ball, go run up and support the attack and stuff, you know. So it <laughs> just tore me up. And, and a valuable lesson after that, because Tommy Gemmell kept me off. Uh, he didn't play me the next game, kept me beside him and told me things I was doing right and wrong. But Bobby Russell could have done that to any player rather than be Jim Chapman Albion Rovers, you know. He just tore me to bits. Uh, and then I played against the Aberdeen League Cup and Jim Bett, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and these guys just they were at, they were at a different level. But you learn so much from so. And I remember saying even during the game, trying to get the wind up as you do and all that. And Jim Bett, the international at the time, I says, I'm national. You know, you're having a laugh, you know. And he says, I, who do you play for again, wee man? I'll be in what, you know. You <laughs> <laughs> back in my place, but even, you learn so much from playing against these quality guys and and. I did try to take things from it, so certainly two good, real tough opponents. What was the favourite football top you wore and why? Well, you know, I said to you there, my, my dream was to play for Airdrie, and I, I thought it was an S form, and I say I thought it was an S form at Airdrie because it used to be the academy, there was no academies at the time, you got schoolboy forms, so when we played at Calder Vale and Peter Russell was the head of PE and but he was also Airdrie scout, so he used to train down there. So that's what he thought, I'm going to play for the Airdrie, this is great. Then 16, you leave school, you get rejected, you're nothing. Didn't know if it was an S form or not. Um, so I thought, oh, well, bang goes my chance. But it was later on in that 
obviously playing, doing quite well. Chances of going join there. That was you were hoping they were going to sign you. It never worked. I then ended up coming back to Airdrie as the SFA Community Development Officer, 1992. I joined there, and Alec McDonald's the manager, and John McVeigh. And then we had some of some of the young boys, and we got a, a sort of bounce game uh, against Hibs at Easter Road, and I ended up wearing that diamond. You know, bearing in mind my career was done, I'd done my knee in it at the time, so you're on that with risk, but. I was still fit enough to take part in the game and John, I, I got on, I played at Easter Road and I was wearing that diamond finally, so the chance to wear that diamond in a game was just, that, that's for me um, and I finally got to wear it, I wish I'd have got more of it, but no, look, at least I got a chance to do it, that's for sure. Brilliant. Uh, who's the best player you've played or worked with? I, again, there's a couple of good players playing with, I don't know if you remember, but when I first went to Dumbarton, there was a, a boy there called Jimmy Hughes. Uh, fantastic character, but what he could do with a ball was incredible. And again, the modern day game, he was just way ahead of his time. You know, he just found all the wee areas. And when I went in there as a combative midfielder, let's say, uh, he says, Chappie, just give me the ball and make your run and I'll find you. And sure enough, he did. And I think one of the regrets is I probably didn't play long enough with Hughesy because I got injured. But I'm quite sure if I had did that we Hughes, he says, I'll sell you, wee man, don't worry. And that was just his banner. I'll sell you, I'll get you a move, wee man. So, and another boy that played in the bank was a boy, John McQuaid. It was exactly the same. And uh, he calls me a selfish bampot now, McQuaid, because both of us were doing quite well. And I remember the gaffer, Billy Lamb, saying, he says, in our couple of weeks, she's will no be here. You know, and in another couple of weeks, I'd never play again. And Hughes, uh, we created, turned around and said to me, you're a selfish bampot. You've done mute my move, you know. <laughs> and I said, well, no. So, so he's a, certainly another player that could easily, he, he did go to a better level than Dumbarton that. So, but Jimmy Hughes was just top notch. And what's the best practical joke you've seen played? You know, it's a hard one. You know, there's loads of jokes and different things that was happened about you know, I remember Big Jimmy Dempsey caught me one when I just signed at Dumbarton. He phoned me up and kidding it when he was a reporter for the, for the Dumbarton Reporter. Mm-hmm. Great, you know, and there was just something that, that, as much as you were trying to be, I wonder if it is, I wonder if it isn't. So I was, I was sort of at the end of that wee practical joke of trying to say, oh, say all the right things. Yeah, looking forward to the challenge. I want to do my best. Blah, blah, <laughs> football stuff. But at the background, you know, I know your voice. And I even said to him, are you sure you're no Jimmy Dempsey? No, no, this is the Dumbarton reporter. And I'm thinking, all oh, right, OK. But you, you, listen, there's loads of dressing room stories and all that that you, you've seen things, but there's so, so many laughs and carry-ons that I don't know if there's any favourites. Um, and I know that even talking about even Albion Rovers where there's a guy, um, big Brian Donnelly came as a striker and all that, and he it wasn't a practical joke because it wasn't funny when you had the old bath and all that and he gets in first, being sub and get in first and left a present for everybody. <laughs> when off. So uh, I, I remember that vaguely, but it certainly wasn't funny. He might have thought it was a practical joke, but a lot of went home dirty that night. So rather than getting a bath in that water, that's for sure. <laughs> My name is Brown Ferguson, manager of Linlithgow Rose, and you are listening to Down the Divisions. So Jim, we've, we've talked about your your management career. We'll take you back to your playing days. I mean, it, it started out at uh, Thornywood Juniors, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We well, even even before that, that you know, I was again 16, 
sitting at hoping to go and maybe break into the senior game when you were leaving school, getting your, your team at Airdrie and get a yes former chance, it didn't work then. Just the way the pathway was then, you're then maybe going to get farmed out to the juniors, you know, and, and I think Livingston juniors was where we were supposed to go. When you come into Airdrie, that's where you're supposed to end up going. But I ended up playing with Dale Amateurs. Um, Uncle Tom, who was a terrific player, um, God rest him, but he played at Dale Amateurs. It was a well-known amateur side in, in Lanarkshire, but obviously for Airdrie. And uh, I ended up going to play in my uncle's team. And then we, we went through one or two of the cups, and that's where... A, a guy called Pat Jolly at Thornwood Juniors. Pat was there and he says, we played, I think it was Park Villa. Um, and in the semi-final, he won the Cups, and John Rowan Cup or something like that. And he says, oh, we want you to come to Thornwood. So I went from the amateur, I come through, right, the path if you boys clubs into the amateur side, into the juniors. And then when I was at Thornwood, I think it was a year, just less than a year there. And that's where we spoke about Robert Law. Um, he says, look, we want you bring you on trial at Albion Rovers, but there was talks even St Martin and Motherwell were quite keen on me then, I was obviously doing something right, um, but then when the chance comes to go senior, I end up going to Albion Rovers and it sure it wasn't any money, it was just an opportunity, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, and uh, it was Tommy Gemmell signed me there, and and then, because Albion Rovers were losing a player, and uh, I think Sammy's passed now, but Sammy Cohen was a similar type, so I was seen as maybe a replacement for Sammy, Sammy went to Falkirk, and I was like coming into Albion Rovers, so grasped the opportunity and uh, lo and behold you know, we, we did alright you know and got a, a winner's medal which was good and scored the goals and again another wee claim to fame scoring a winning goal there that, that clinched the championship was always nice it's always nice memories but you know it's it's not just about you it's about everything else but it's nice to you can put your name to something um, and we got a winner's medal and then that's when there was a lot of interest started you know an opportunity and I remember the, the manager, David Proven, again, he's passed away, David, but he took me after we got beat 3-0 at Forfa, and he says, right, that's it, you know, we're, we're going to go, you have accepted bids for St Johnson and Falkirk, you're going full-time, which was always your aim. You know, I never, ever got that opportunity to go full-time, even as a, a coach, never mind a player, but, and I thought, well, that's fantastic, and then you go back to training and realise that nothing's materialised, and so what's happened? He says, oh, it's all off. You know, what do you mean? what do you mean it's off he says oh it's all they're looking for more money and, and just what happens in a boardroom and, and it was something I took into my management career and, and I would never ever treat players the way I was treated at that time because that was an opportunity for me um, and I would never and I say is that if I ever got any coaching and management I would never stand in a player's way regardless of that so you learned a wee lesson that side of it and then going in after all being overs you were free agent at the time, you know, and they wanted you to sign. And I thought, I, I, I says, no, I, I need to go. You can't treat me like that. I'd rather just go back and play amateur or whatever. Uh, you'd never treat me like that. I just didn't like the way they treated me. Um, and then they end up, you went and signed for Dumbarton. Uh, people say you're probably Dumbarton's waste of money, both as a player and a manager. <laughs> <laughs> uh, biggest waste of money. But you went into Dumbarton and again, Things had picked up. Clubs that were interested at the time at Albion Rovers obviously been falling. You once I'd seen them, Barton started to kick in, started to score goals in midfield, and then you know it looked as if maybe you're ready to move straight away. And then 11 games I lasted, and it just shows you how fragile the game can be when you just never know the minute. I twisted my knee at our growth. The resources and all that that you have now wasn't it like that back then. Tried to come back for the cruciate ligament far too early. I wish I could go back knowing what you know now, but I was just desperate to play. Three and a half months later, I'm back on the pitch. 
convincing Billy Lamont to play me in a reserve game against Airdrie. Let me play, I'm back, I'm fit, I'm strong, I'm ready to go. Nowhere near it. And my knee buckles and that was it. And as I said, I cried like a baby in the hospital. And he said, I remember the surgeon, Mr. Mukherjee, says, Jim, your knee will never be strong enough to play professional football again. And that that's really, that just it's taking the, the breath right out of me. It was all taking the blood out of my body when you said that to me. But you, you soon learn or things happen. Um, as you mentioned earlier, they had Gareth about in the hospital bed. You know, nothing was, everything was irrelevant until you seen reality. And then that's what just brought myself probably back into, no, I ain't giving up on anything. And that's just the... Tell us about that. Tell, tell us about what happened in the bed next to you and the, and the poor guy that kind of maybe kind of woke you up from your, from sort of feel, rightly and understandably feeling sorry for yourself at that moment in time. Oh, I was, Gareth, I was feeling sorry for myself. Really, you know, it just it wasn't worth it anymore. And um, you go into the ward after your operation, you're sitting there and there was just a, a man came in and... Didn't really know him, didn't even meet him because you're just sitting there, there's no interest in anything, just oblivious. And you know the hospital ward, you're sitting four in a ward and don't interest in anything and we just I'd fell asleep. And then there was a massive clatter and this, this guy had come up and it was an older man and he had an operation, he'd just lost his legs below the knee. And he says he was dreaming, he'd fell asleep and dreaming and he got to go to the toilet, you know, and he, he forgot all about it. He was lying laughing, you know, and the nurse came in, what's happened? And he, he says, oh... I thought I just wanted to go in the toilet and go, but he forgot he's just lost in the obvious part of himself. But I'm lying there feeling sorry for myself with a sore knee. And here's a man that probably has been amputated below the knee and you're thinking, really? So tough. It was, you know, you're still young at the time and it was, yeah. it was a hard one. But eventually you thought there's more important things in life rather than just playing a game of football if you can. But, you know, I'm immersed in football. I, I, can't, I would never ever give up on it. But reality is it's still at the end of the day, it's just a game. Also tell us about the, I mean, you, you mentioned that you scored those goals. I think it was 18 goals you scored for Albion Rovers that season when when you won the old second division. But fast forward a few years on, you came across a particularly uh, significant shirt on eBay for, what, £26 it cost you, was it? Aye, buy my own shirt back, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a strange one. My big friend, Eric Stallard, um, had mentioned to me at Albion Rovers, and I think Eric's working at Thornwood, or he was in the committee at Thornwood there uh, when I was just working away, and, and he says, somebody got Jim Chapman's championship shot on sale for eBay, and I'm going, oh, you're at it. And I was back as the manager at Albion Rovers at the time, um, and I thought, nah, so I'm no great on social media or stuff like that. So he said, you go? So he showed me, and, I said, I wonder how much I'll be. I'm going to bid for that to see if it was. And sure enough, my signature's on it. The guy, I, I said, I bid for it. I got the bid and he sent it up to me. Took my cash as well, mind you. I thought, <laughs> back to the club. So, and it came up and it was, and he says, my name's still on it. And it looks as if the blood stain's still on it. I remember my, my nose burst or something, still a wee bit of blood stain on it as well. <laughs> Typical getting to scraps and fights and tackles when I played. Um, and sure enough there was a jersey with my, initi- my signature on it that I remember at the end of the last game you probably went to do and, and gave your shot to somebody and signed it and like sponsors or something and handed that away and lo and behold all the years later it comes back to me and his message on EP was great, I think it was Tommy DGNRA or something it was and he says great to see the shot going back home and I thought aye 26 quid. I was going to say, were you a bit disappointed it wasn't kind of bidding at a higher value than £26 at the time? 
No, Gareth, you told me, I told you I'm a realist. But listen, it was it was probably nice at the time, and uh, it was a wee memorable. And I thought even at that at the club, if I wanted it or whatever, when you're going there as a manager, but no, I've kept it. I've kept it, and the medals beside it as well. So um, it's there, and you're proud of it. You know, I mean, listen, people say, oh. I'll be no, no much of a career, but I, I, I achieved one of my dreams as a kid to play professional football, albeit at part-time level, but you had to work through the levels, as you said, when you come through the boys' club, the amateurs, into the juniors, into the seniors. Now it's the opposite way about. You wonder what it would be like. I'm supposed everybody and me would always be wondering, I wonder how you would cope with now the modern-day game and academy structure. It pains me now. It pains me now that even it's everything's so structured and it costs a lot of money to play now and you think about it, you never had that at the time you've got to be you know some kids can't afford to play football that hurts me now when I was doing my job at Mother on the community trust and all in the community I would, I would do anything I could to just let kids play football for next to nothing if I could Do you think though Jim if you hadn't got that injury you wouldn't have went down the coaching road obviously kind of maybe pushed down that a wee bit sooner than you, you, you wanted no, Paul, I, I, this might come as a surprise to you, but no, because again, I, I spent, I spoke about earlier working with Willie McLean, mm-hmm. and I was a sports development officer, and Willie was one of the, the tutors and the mentors for the SFA way, way back, you know, and he was working, and we were based up at the Jockstein pitch in Hamilton, and Willie used to run the SFA, like, sea license courses and stuff, yeah. uh, and even when I was a player, 21-22, Willie actually had me come out and maybe saying, right, go and put on, like, a wee coaching session for the candidates to the sea license. Um, and he was he was actually starting to mentor me, and that's where I got the bug for coaching and coach education through Wally, and uh, and I enjoyed that. And believe it or not, when I signed for Dumbarton, um, no, that was very demanding financially. But part of my deal was that they would pay for my full A license. Right. So, you know, so I had a plan, uh, and I think I always try and pass that advice on to young players: is that you got to keep thinking bigger picture. You know that what if. That, that time comes where you can't play or your contract, whatever, because that's what happened to me. You know, you thought you got rejected. It didn't really work out. What if? So I had planned that I was doing my A licence and Dumbarton had financed my full A licence. So by the end of my contract in 1992, I was going to either be a fully qualified A licence coach at the time because that was top level or maybe I get my chance to be full time. Um only one of that came through, but thankfully I had to <laughs> into my coaching a wee bit earlier. And again, I'm grateful to Billy Lament for that because no sooner had I finished playing, but you're still contracted there. And because of my licensee, he sent me away to watch the opponents, come back, get me involved, taking a wee bit of the training, started taking the reserves and all that. So I've been coaching, probably still playing, you know, and I was always thinking, well, the next best thing to play in is coaching. Um, as I said, I'm immersed in the game, so I'm, I'm blessed that I can still stay in the game. But it was certainly part of a plan, and I think I would always say that to young players. As much as you get dreams, absolutely brilliant, go for it. But what if, you know, and then start to dictate the route that you might want to go and start your coaching badges early and start to, you know, think about if you want to stay in the game, it might be coaching, it could be sports science now, which is such a big part of the game nowadays. Performance analysis now, if you're into the techie stuff with the videos and all that and that's a massive contribution to developing players and developing teams so there's a lot of opportunities now just not for playing and coaching but and then I joined the SFA at 27 which at that time you know people thought well it's normally full of guys at the other end of their career where I was just up and coming that way so I've had a fantastic you know education 
I've been really mentored by some great people, some great colleagues and all that that have shared all their experiences with me and that's what's made me the person I'm today. You talk about having a plan. I think it's seven operations you had ended up having on your knee and and I know there was talk around that time of clubs looking at you, Sheffield United, Manchester City. Was was there truth in that? I mean, were, were these these clubs not necessarily there waiting to get your signature on a piece of paper, but... You know, could it have been the space of weeks or months that had you, had you not had that injury, the doors would have probably there three, opened? There was three clubs, Gareth, and Blackburn, Sheffield United, that was the three clubs, because I remember, actually, when we played Aberdeen in the Skull Cup, um, it was the Bassett, Sheffield United, was the manager then, uh, and he was up watching Big Ali Graham. Ali was doing brilliant for us, and probably... Uh, and, and I had just a great relationship with Ali, that he was a tag and I run off him, so... We were playing Aberdeen and they were up watching Argali and I, I was told this was behind it or not, I don't know, it's not fabricated in any way, it was told to me so, um, and Big Ali was attracting a lot of attention for the clubs and then it was just, I'd, maybe one of the games I did quite well and then they were starting to look at both of us um, that way, so there was an interest coming for the Sheffield United at the time. Wimbledon, the crazy gang, would have probably suited me right down to the tee, uh, being a club, but again, speculation until... There was things there um, you didn't know, but that's where part of, as I said, David Provinces, um, you know, that Albion Rovers had a chance, and the clubs were some of the, when St. Johnson Falkirk looked at Albion Rovers, they were still hovering around looking at it, they'd made inquiries. Then when you went to Dumbarton, that they followed you there, and that's where a lot of that interest came as well. So there's, there's so many things, you know, that what if this, that, and the next thing, but until there's something concrete in front of you, you'll never, ever know. And that's the sad thing about it is that your future, you know, you, you've got to treat every game as ever your last because maybe it will be one day. But you do, can't get too far ahead of yourself. Speculation, that's for all these people that want to make that up. I was just happy to be on that park and kick a ball. And if somebody was interested in me, it was, it was great. But I never, ever took anything or looked into things too much simply because that's all it was. It was speculation. Hi, it's Murdo McKinnon, Port Manager here, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Before we finish up, we'll clear up the Down the Divisions decider. Give us those clues again, Paul. So the Super Bowl was played between Cincinnati Bengals and San Francisco 49ers. 49ers won in 2016. Kylie and Jason reached number one with Especially for You. Arsenal won the league title. The Full Members Cup then known as the Simod Cup, was played between Nottingham Forest and Everton at Wembley. Nottingham Forest winning 4-3. Gareth, you said? 1991. Chappie, you said? Chappy, you said. I don't know what you said. You were in the 70s. No, 84, I think, was a final pitch. Then he said 80, then he said 84. That was my first note. It was the 80s. 1989. Nearly went for 89. Year I left the primary. That was the year Albion Rovers won the league, Paul. Is that right? <laughs> you, had that, you had that Tash seen a great photo the other week, Chappie. Wow. How oh, great was that? But that thing to make sure you get into the bars and all that. There was nothing worse than getting a knock back when your teammates are out in a night out. Trust me. What was, yep. what, was the, what was the pub called? The Double Diamond or the Triple A or something, wasn't it? That was it. That was the air three. It was something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. Right. 
I remember going with the guys after the game and all that for the usual Saturday after the game, the beers and stuff and all. And you walk in, the guy says, sorry, mate, you're too young, fresh-faced and all that. So then you went and hadn't shaved and you had a wee moustache. I thought, I'll just keep it now because I any of the pubs. <laughs> That's not the real reason. Magnum P.I. was on the telly. He's all wanted to be Magnum. <laughs> Magnum's a chocolate ice lolly. Who's Magnum? <laughs> I'm, me. I'm still watching the telly. <laughs> Chappy, I was four. I was the allowed out. Oh, all right, okay. <laughs> Chappy, thanks for thanks for joining us. It's oh, been uh, good to have you on from uh, from Kentucky. Good to good to hear you're doing well. Great seeing you. Really enjoying your football again. Great, it was great seeing you last year. And uh, we hope all things continue to go well over there. That when the the season, the university college season starts up again, that that uh, the UK uh, results are, are good, and uh, you and Ian have a have a successful time of it. And if I'm not Gareth, I might be back in Scotland before you know it. <laughs> no, thanks, thanks, great. thanks for having us and Gareth. You know, that would be great to catch up with these guys soon, probably in person as well, if we can. It all starts to go well in the world again, but we'll just enjoy what we've got. All right. Great, Chappie. Yeah. Don't forget, you can get in touch with the show with comments or suggestions for people to speak to. Our email address is divisions at gmail.com. That's divisions at gmail.com or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Do leave a comment, which helps others find us, and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll be back next Friday on Down the Divisions. Down the Divisions.